I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. This is Rendering Unconscious 200th episode. So today we are celebrating my dear friend and amazing, inspiring colleague, Dr. Lada Shiha, is joining me. And she had the great idea to interview me for the 200th episode. So that's what we did. And I hope you enjoy it. And I'm going to let her take it away. I got my bubbly to celebrate. <laughs> I have my bubbly with water. <laughs> that counts. Exactly. I got this tiny little bottle. That's so Because I have to get up early and take a train to Stockholm for this lecture tomorrow. So I got a teeny little bottle that's only like two glasses. <laughs> <laughs> that works. That works. <laughs> All right. So, um, Welcome, everybody, and welcome, folks, to a very, very, very special episode of the Rendering Unconscious podcast. In fact, I am so honored to be the guest host today to interview our very own Vanessa Sinclair for the 200th episode of the podcast that's brought so much magic to so many people's lives. I've, I hear about this podcast all the time. Vanessa just like pops up out of nowhere, and I'm like, that's my friend. and um so I'm just really excited to be celebrating with you well thank you it's such a great idea so thank you you're welcome and I know you have some bubbly with you and like Mm -hmm. I said I have some bubbly water and Mm -hmm. skulls yes (laughs) toast to you along the way (laughs) not good manners to toast and not drink so I'm gonna drink I drink some water but um so I have a, a lot I want to do, but can I like introduce you? I mean, you're like the person who brings everybody in and you spend so much time and so much labor introducing people both to the world and sort of platforming folks who might not otherwise get a voice, but, um, and I know your work is out there, but like sometimes people don't know the extent of your work. And I was lucky enough to meet you when I was in Sweden and was like, whoa, this is some very cool work happening. And your book was there. So I just want to read out all the incredible labor you've put into the world. Um, So Vanessa is not uh, only the host of Rendering Unconscious, which is this one will mark the 200th episode, but she's an author, um, beautiful author, writes beautifully of Pathways of the Heart, which was by Trapart Books, that was 2021, and Scansion in Psychoanalysis and Art, The Cut and Creation, which I feel is like super representative of the ways that you integrate things. And I, I want to hear about these things as well. That's by Rutledge in 2020, and Switching Mirrors by Trapart Books also in 2016. As though that would not be enough for our field, because she's also a practicing analyst and does this. She's also um, very much a sort of representative for me, Vanessa. One of the most beautiful things I think you do is work in collaboration with people. Like our field and just the world, capitalist world we live in, really focuses on competition. And I don't ever get that from you, which is part of why I think our souls aligned so quickly because there's something so beautiful about community making. So I also want to say about the uh, co-edited books. She did edit uh, psychoanalytic perspectives on the films of Ingmar Bergman, a Freudian Lacanian lens, and that's coming out in 2022. When is the actual date of that? Do you know? Sometime in the fall. It should be about six months from now, but we don't have an exact date yet. Okay. Once you do, let me know so I can plug it for pre-order because I know how Rutledge works too. So let, let me know about that. And that's, you know, again, another angle that I want to get into with you about your ability to very seamlessly say there's no separation between the arts and psychoanalysis and the way we think about things. Um, she also uh, did from Trapart Books, Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. I think that's the one that was at the Swedish right? When we went to that conference together, it was on the table. That was the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't, re- I don't very often see politics mentioned. So I was just like, I need to get to know this person. Um, and then co-editor 
of outsider inpatient reflections on art as therapy, as well as on psychoanalysis and violence, contemporary Lacanian perspectives, and then the Fenris Wolf volume nine from Trey Park book. So as you all can see, we have a gift from Vanessa. So um, anything you wanna say about like, what drives this energy for you? I mean, there's so, a lot of people don't even write one book and there's a very good reasons for that. But tell me about like, how do you, what's your magic? What do you do? Oh, that's a good question. Um, the first book I did was Switching Mirrors. And that actually, this is kind of a fun story because, you know, I wrote, I, I remember in, I think it was like 2011. Yeah, it was 2011. There was a uh, the 100th anniversary of the IPA, the International Psychoanalytic Association. And it was also the 100 year anniversary of the institute that I was at, the New York Psychoanalytic Institute. And so um, I was asked to write a book review of this book on the 100th year anniversary of uh, the IPA. And then while I was doing that, I was also asked to write a foreword to a friend's poetry book that was called Dada Poetry. So I was reading a lot about Dada artists and I started realizing like, oh, all this was happening at the same time and in like the same cities, you know, all the cities that were being mentioned were like the same places and how interesting and what's going on, you know, in the world at that time, of course, it was like, you know, right, right before World War One, and, you know, just looking at that and I started getting this kind of spark feeling, you know, and so whenever I get that feeling where something seems like really exciting, I try to go with it because I've learned that it leads somewhere and that people should trust that feeling, <laughs> you know, when they get, when they get excited about artist. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I started putting it together and then there was like some candidate competition or whatever at the Institute for paper. And I wrote a paper about data and psychoanalysis. And of course they didn't like it. <laughs> But, you know, what are you going to do? And uh, I don't think it was what they had in mind because it's not like the the norm. There wasn't anything clinical or anything uh, really theoretical. It was just kind of talking about the zeitgeist of that time. But, um, yeah, so that, that paper didn't have a home at first. And then when I met Carl in 2013, um, he has this journal called The Fenris Wolf. And he said, oh, I've already like passed the deadline for my latest issue. But if you have anything that you've already kind of done that you could send me, I'd be happy to include your work. And I had this paper from this candidate, you know, competition. Um, so I sent it to him and he loved it. So that was really nice that someone, you know, that I wasn't, hadn't been around before then was like, oh, this is great. Whereas of yeah. course the Institute was like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was nice to get support, supportive yeah. feedback for something. And then it was actually Carl, it was before we started dating and I was doing cut up poetry. He, um, he said, you should really have a book of this cut up poetry. And I was like, great. So he offered to put this book together. So that, that was really fun. So I think that that's really what got me going, writing and editing books, just having someone that was like, great, this is great. You should do this instead of like all these naysayers being like, no, you have to do it this way or it has to be yes. like this. And I feel yeah. like that's really what I just try to do for people is like, support them in whatever excites them, you know, whatever is exciting you and getting you going, getting you inspired. Like, I'm like, great, do it. You know, right. <laughs> it's really that simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't like, you can't replicate the texture of that type of energy when somebody is aligned and it lights up their soul and lights up their fire, like you see it, you know, and that's the type of work that makes magic really. Um, and also touches people. Cause what I'm also hearing from you is that well, now we're at a stage where we can be like, if the institutes are saying, what the fuck are you doing? You're probably doing the right thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Back then it was probably crushing to be like, what, I guess I'm don't belong, or I guess, you know, I'm doing it wrong or whatever the case is. But what I'm also hearing is that at the heart of this was a reciprocal relationship, like a, a relational process that gets mobilized in a particular way and then can have the beautiful effect of turning into something you know a, a product and not in like a capitalist byproduct but actually a creation something mm -hmm. that you pour your heart and soul into yeah exactly exactly and like you said collaborative processes instead of com competitive processes because 
I don't buy this, like, if you have something, it takes something away from someone else and vice versa. If someone has something, it takes something away from you. That To me, that is not the way the world works at all. To me, it's like, the more you're doing well and doing what you desire and what you wish to see, the more other people are inspired and are also able to kind of have that spark. And then it's better for everybody. Yeah, yeah. there's <laughs> plenty to go around. Yeah, the Um, earth is abundant if we would treat it properly. Yeah, yeah. If we could pierce through the ideological constraints that tell us we have to hoard everything. I mean, there's it's a real capitalist notion. And sometimes we forget that knowledge is a part of that or like platforming, whatever the case is a part of that. But you've shown time and time again that you the ways that you fight against that. So I guess my my question to you is what so you talked a little bit about what brought your books into life. What brought rendering unconscious into life? Like what's the birth story of the podcast? It's kind of goes along with everything in my life, which was that it wasn't like, I didn't have an intentional kind of direction for it. Um, Most of what I've done has come out of like kind of necessity (laughs) in my life rather than like these like lofty ideas. Like I've met a lot of people um, in, in my older adulthood, whatever adulthood I'm in now, um, that's like, that are like, oh, you, you had this vision and you went to school and you became a doctor and, you know, you wanted to be this thing, but it really wasn't like that for me at all. Like my career has not been like that. It was like, you know, go, I went to school, I went to community college and then, you know, I finished that and it's like, what do you do? Well, you go get a bachelor's because what do you do with an AA? Not much. So, you know, then I got a bachelor's in psychology and it's like, what do you do with that? Not much. I was like, well, what should I do? I'll go to grad school. And then, you know, finished grad school, went to postdoc and I just kept going through the kind of steps until I eventually like ended up where, where I am, you know, it's just like, uh, there wasn't that much forethought of like what my career would look like. I knew that it was good that psychology was like a very kind of flexible degree where you could be a clinician, you could work in hospitals, you could work in private practice, you could work in universities, you could do research, you know, there's so many different things you could do with the degree. And I like that about it. Um, but the the podcast was the same thing. It was basically like I left New York and uh, I was supposed to go to Sweden and then Sweden, you know, my residency didn't work out the first time they got rejected. And so I had to go back to the U.S. and stay with my mom, who I don't have a really great relationship with. And I turned 40 and I was like at my mom's house in Florida. And I was basically like, what happened to my life? (laughs) It was more like that. Um, And then I was used to being really busy, you know, in a private practice in New York. And then I found myself like back in Florida, which I like worked so hard to get out of Florida because it's such a hellhole, basically. And I just basically needed something to do. And I just got actually that same kind of feeling I was talking about when I put data and psychoanalysis together. I was like sitting in bed on my laptop and I just all of a sudden got this like excited feeling of like, oh, I can make a podcast because I had done these conferences like the psychoanalysis art and occult conferences. I had done one, I guess, at that time. And I had all the lectures recorded. So it's like, oh, I could put those lectures out, you know as a podcast. So it just, you know, came out of that. It's just like needed something to do. Basically. It didn't really have an idea of like being a podcaster or like, like, I think I've told you before, like being this kind of idea of like a public intellectual, I've realized there's a lot of people that like go to school and they want to be that thing. They like want to be like a voice, a talking head. I I never in my wildest dreams imagined I would do something like that. You know, it's like, it wasn't even something that I had a conception of that existed, you know, yeah. when I went to school, I just went to school because I wanted to get a job, <laughs> you know? Right. right. I so. love that though, what you're saying, because I think it kind of upends the, what now is our field feels like tracking of professionalization and that, and you're saying, you're kind of making me also put into words, like there's a certain privilege to also coming from that perspective of like dreaming right or having the ability to be like these are the goals I want to hit and you're saying coming out of necessity whether that's a class issue or an issue of like wanting to get the fuck out of Florida or family dynamics or whatever fits for whoever that that is what was the center and sometimes I think we we end up like assuming people have the space 
internally to always make these very intentional decisions about things, right? And like you're saying, to, to have dreams of being a public intellectual, that assumes also like a starting point that would create the conditions for that to become true. You know? Yeah, that that was even would be a possibility, or like I said, something somebody even knows existed. Most of the right. people I know uh, from Florida, like just trying to survive. You know, people are right. just working and trying to get right. to the next paycheck and right. um, not thinking about things like that. You know, right, right. The other thing I heard in your story, though, I love this. I love that I I've known you for this long and didn't didn't know the creation story of this, which is why I'm <laughs> more excited. I'm doing this today, but. Um, one thing I heard through this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that there was also a, that excitement that you feel, whether it's in writing a book or when you know you fell on something, is also a sort of intuitive way of you looking to feed your soul. Because that's that's what I hear also was happening, was like it might have felt suffocating or like it, your soul, soul crushing to be back in Florida when you had dreams of otherwise or plans to do otherwise so it seems like there was something soul feeding about doing this and and I'm not surprised that it was also kind of a creative venture for you yeah exactly and it's a way out in a way of yeah dealing with the situation you know creating space for yourself in a situation that you don't really want to be in and um yeah no I mean somebody on twitter um, was saying the other day, like, there should be no more, like, psychology, psychoanalytic podcasts, you know, <laughs> like, what is everybody doing? I say, I think that's great. I think there should be as many as people want to create, but I do think there's a difference when someone's intention is, like, I want to be this person that people look to for yes. information or theory or whatever, this kind of talking head, and yeah. somebody who's just, like, you know, number one, trying to find their own way, but also, you know, trying to make things accessible for other people that are trying to find their way. You yeah. know, there's like a different yeah. reason behind these things, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I can support a moratorium on egos, <laughs> psychoanalytic egos. <laughs> We're good with that. Um, on the topic of feeding souls, um, what are you doing nowadays to feed your soul? Tell me, tell me a couple magical things you find yourself doing just to feed your soul. Sure. I can actually say this week I've been the happiest I think I've ever been in my entire life because I actually have finished everything on my to-do list. Like I have no more obligations or anything that I've agreed to do that I haven't done. There's nothing. The only thing on my to-do list is like meditate. Wow. Practice Swedish and exercise, (laughs) just like ongoing things that I'll be doing forever, you know? So that was a great thing to feed my soul is like, stop agreeing to all these kinds of bureaucratic. I don't like, I don't like the academic world. That's why I support you and other people that teach because it is amazing that you do that and more power to you. It is just not for me. <laughs> I cannot do it. It makes me so stressed out, but it's so necessary. So my, so I've been like, okay, this is not for me. So I'm going to support the people I think are doing good work in that area. And that'll be my position. You know, that's also important. People find out like where their best position for themselves and others and not thinking yeah. they have to do all of these things. Like, I don't need to teach. I can just support teachers that are doing the work that love it and love mentoring students. You know, that's great. Um, so yeah, realizing that like where my kind of energy is best spent and just like focusing on that and getting rid of all of the kind of extra things has been really helpful. And then going to the forest. I've been going to the forest a lot um, and I love it. I try to go a few times a week now. And that's been really helpful. And just now that the weather's better here, just like walking yeah. around the town and just like taking walks and listening to audiobooks while I walk around. And yeah, that's it. It's wonderful. Read, and reading that. books and reading books that have nothing to do with any of this. Just re- yeah. reading novels. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. What's the um, most beautiful thing that you've seen in the forest recently? No matter how mundane. Oh, wow. The forest is so magical. I mean, there's so many different kinds of flowers every time we go. 
and the trees are just growing and getting to know we've been going on like the same trails a lot so getting to know the different trails and being like oh now this tree's grown this much and look at this little yeah. like oak coming up and it's just so nice to watch how things grow and our garden we have a really nice garden and I've been like learning to weed and like take care of the plants and you know, being, learning to be a brutal gardener, which actually is also very symbolic for what I'm talking about. It's like, I have to cut off all this dead kind of weight and like, just let the energy be focused into certain areas, like the same thing with the garden. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I love that because, you know, you can get into this sort of mindset of like that cutting off, you, you sort of start to get affectively involved in, in the way you think the tree should grow. This is my, maybe I'm projecting this my own thing. I'm like, I can't cut off those beautiful, you know, st- whatever leaves or anything. And Stephen have these, has these beautiful, I know I've showed you pictures, coffee plants that are, they're actually trees that have been, that he's been nursing for like you know, 10, more than 10 years now and eight years into it, they finally started giving beans, but to get there, you have to like do a lot of pruning. And, and there's a way in which like my heart stops every time. I'm like, no, you can't cut the tree. But then there's this reminder of like, actually, this is not about you. You're thinking of how growth happens. You have to like, sort of understand that you create space for new life when you take away what's no longer needed, you know, and that seems, sounds really cheesy, but it's actually really helpful to think about. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. no, we had this linden tree and the gardener, we had someone come and look and let us know if like anything needed to be done. And he said, this tree needed to be cut and it cut so many they left like all the main branches, but they cut off like all the smaller branches. And I actually had to like leave the house because I was so upset. I was like, you're hurting the tree, you know, but yeah. now it's like growing all these new kind of leaves and stuff and looks a lot happier. I'm like, okay, I understand now. But like, yeah, doing it at first was really it, like felt I felt like physically pained. I like had yeah. to leave. Yeah. Yeah. There's something so great. I mean, Steve and I have been doing this too, where we, where we do these, um, you know, paths walk these paths these trails and it's been great to see them in every season and then also to like leave our phones behind that's the best part about walking is just leave your phone and so you you can't even like take photos or because you're there's always this impulse and I love photos and I know you do too so it's not about that but there's this impulse to capture the moment Mm. a lot of the times and you know walking through and seeing owls or there was a turkey the other day that was just wow. sitting there and I didn't know turkeys fly up 500 meters <laughs> I was like what nope. <laughs> yeah so we saw a fox we saw a wolf we saw a coyote you oh, know cool. all these things that I think if you there's it's so easy not to pay attention to that they're just living around you and of course that brings me back also about like being connected to the land and sort of being present about the fact that it's stolen land and then what's overlaid over top of it. And then just being able to like appreciate those moments and not take them for granted. And it's not like, I'm just like, you know, floating through life without these beautiful beings around me all the time. Exactly. That's a good point too, is also like staying offline as much as possible. I'm actually gotten really good at it. It's because I got to watch And ever since I bought this watch, I think it was like, I guess it was around Christmas or the first of the year. It's made such a difference because I don't need to look at the phone to know what time it is. And now I'm not like constantly picking up and looking at the phone. And I actually like forget to like check email and stuff now. And it's glorious. (laughs) It's like when I sit down to do like this or like listen to analysis or something, then like during that time period, like after I'm done with my work there or something, I'll answer emails and and handle all that. And then I close my computer and that's it. I don't look at it again until the next day when I work again. And that's been really helpful. Yeah, I did. It's. I'm not really good at that. <laughs> so I'm going to admit I'm not very good at that. But I, this idea of not you're right, because you go to look at your uh, time and you end up on your phone. You're like, oh, let me look at all. And it just happens. Yeah, you don't even think about it. it. No. No. Yeah. And then you realize you're like, what have I been doing? And, and I also bought an alarm clock that's an actual physical little clock. That's not even digital. It's like a little face Old clock. School. Old school. 
And so when I wake up in the middle of the night and see what time it is, I can see on the clock, like there and I I don't have my phone in the bedroom. I leave my phone and my computer and everything in the same part of the house. I just leave it all there. That's very smart. That's very smart. It's been a long process (laughs) of attempting to do this. But of alignment, I think this is the thread we're talking about is, and it takes time. It takes time to number one, even realize what is it that's off. And then it takes time to sort of, put things in place so you can get to that point. These things don't happen overnight and some of it is unconscious. So um, speaking of unconscious, how did you land on the name? I love the name of your podcast. How did you land on that name? It's been something I've wanted to ask you for a while. I actually think it might've come from a cut up poem because I used it, I did a, when I was in New York, I used to do a lot of events. Like every week I was doing some sort of event for something. And um, I had like a poetry night that was like a free associative poetry night where people could use or do like cut up poetry or just free association. Or I had a friend that did blackout poetry where they'd actually take books and like blackout parts of it and just read the parts that were left and different things like that. Like this kind of associative, like uh, automatic poetry. And I called that night rendering unconscious, like you're rendering the unconscious by having this kind of free associative poetry night. Um, yeah, so that's where it started. And then, yeah, when I decided to do the podcast, I just thought that's such a great name because it has so different, so many different meanings and ways you could think about it. And um, yeah, it's like bringing the unconscious to life, but it's also like rendering. I always think of like computers rendering data and um, yeah, just like seemed like it all fit. But I, I think it must have come from a poem. I don't know how else I would have gotten it. Yeah. But also your style, right? I think you and I have talked about this before, about how you really do like to be non-intrusive in the space. And it's always fascinating to me what people do with that, (laughs) you know, on a podcast. I'm not saying you're analyzing people because, you know, believe it or not, we don't analyze folks (laughs) all the time. Um, But it is interesting to see what people do with that when you give them the space to do what they want. Yeah. And how much people are not used to doing that. Even people that are studying, we're talking about psychoanalysis. <laughs> it's like everybody that comes on the podcast for the most part has some sort of interest in psychoanalysis. Sometimes there's someone that doesn't, but for the most part, in some way, they're interested in psychoanalysis. That, that was my idea when I put it together was like basically just showing like all the different ways you could use psychoanalysis and in, in any way, shape or form that somebody was using it basically to show just to give people people options I feel like the more options people have and the more options people can see the more inspired they can get to find their own way you know um yeah and it's funny that even people that are like interested in psychoanalysis like a lot of people are like what like can't you just ask me a question can't you just start me you know and I'm like sometimes I will but for the most part I'm like oh (laughs) you have to figure it out start somewhere some people really like it and some people really don't like it (laughs) but that's just like a session when people come in and they're you know they're so used to only answering questions right from the therapist you know and not just like coming up with their own material and then you just like take a step back and see what comes up it's like uh, people aren't given a lot of opportunities to do that in their lives at all Yeah. yeah to really and I imagine that especially if you're and I feel like this is your how your podcast has really grown through the years that I've been listening in is that giving space also to people who might otherwise be left out on purpose because psychoanalytic processes and institutes and professionalism actually leave out a lot. And I think this is what you're saying is like, there are a lot of things that are psychoanalysis that you all aren't clocking as psychoanalysis, Mm -hmm. right? So do you, do you feel like it, I, I have the, the hypothesis, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that it's actually the people who do like the most traditional type of psychoanalysis that have more difficulty just being and talking, whereas the people who are never clocked as doing psychoanalysis come and are like able to make what they want of the space. Absolutely. I would say so. And, you know, the more traditional psychoanalysts, that they're also the ones that are used to like making these lengthy interpretations and really kind of taking over the space of the session for the patients. So they're not used to um, actually leaving space there, you know, Mm -hmm. they're like, what is this? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I also have this fantasy that they're like, you know, maybe it's sort of like, you know, when like racists or settlers are always their fantasies of what people will do back to them is always like a, <laughs> it's always like a disclosure of what the violence they have done. Absolutely. I wonder if this is part of it. Like when you're like worried, like what's going to come out if I actually just talk, what's going to come out and then what are you going to think about me? And even though you as a person and as a host, like that's, I know you, that's not where you go. You're just like, I'm literally just letting you be, <laughs> but they interpret that in a particular way. Absolutely. No, it's total projection and people not being able to kind of de- look at themselves or deal with themselves, you know? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And people that, you know, go on the attack at people, like you're saying, like settlers and races, you know, that's them attacking themselves at the end of the day, you know, they need to get right with themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here's a question for you, and this might be hard, so it's okay if you like go mm, take a moment um and i'm saying this with the caveat because i just i just thought about it when we were talking about the different types of guests um yes good take a sip <laughs> i have some bubbly for that it is already what are the most uh, let's say influential or uh episodes that have imprinted on you that you can remember and again this is the caveat i'm saying people you can hold both that if Vanessa says, this is my favorite episode, or this is the, that it doesn't mean yours is, is bad. So let's practice a little bit of like ego strength in this question, because I'm really, I just, it, this is more a question for you because this, I wanted to do this to platform you and to hear your voice because you've done that for so many people. So for you, what, what are the episodes that you feel like maybe you're still thinking about or have really made an impact on you or made you maybe look more in that direction or what do you what do you hold with you still um well speaking of like people projecting and having a hard time with themselves I say that the ones that popped to mind when you said that which is what we have to go with because psychoanalysis <laughs> are the basically the ones that I did by myself um when I talk, talk about either my book or I read a paper that I, I gave like very early on, like it was like episode four um, or talk about, you know, violence and the Freud and Einstein's correspondence, why war after Jessica was killed. Um, mm-hmm. I think those are the most difficult because it's, it's hard for me to just put myself out there. Like when you started doing this kind of interview, I mean, I started getting like flushed and I was like, I am so not used to this. You know, <laughs> I'm not used to talking about myself. I'm very used to and good at like stepping back and um, highlighting other, other people. Um, so I think those probably were the, are the most difficult for me. And that's why there's only a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, t- I think talking about scansion and psychoanalysis, uh, the book that was probably easier. Cause I just basically read parts, parts of the book or one of the chapters of the book or something. So that was a bit easier, but maybe the one, the one probably about, uh, Jessica was the most difficult. Yeah. And I, I also say though, the thing that's interesting is that, and I think what makes me good at my job is that whatever people are talking about when they come on, I can find something that's like exciting about it because I really like if somebody's really doing something that they're really passionate about, that's like what gets me excited. Yeah. Is like I get excited by other people doing their thing. Mm-hmm. So whenever people are talking to me and kind of explaining, you know, what they've been doing with psychoanalysis, I get really into it when they're there and like, you know, Ooh, what's this? And like, I, that's why I don't prepare questions ahead of time. Cause it's so easy to come up with like interesting questions for everyone, because, you know, there's so many different pathways that you could see their work going and um, just getting them to talk more about themselves and their work. It's uh, yeah, it's really comfortable in that way. So when, whenever I talk to someone, I'm always like, I always get really into it for the most part. I mean, there's a very few exceptions that I'd like not you know, I don't agree with everything everybody says, right? Sometimes when people write me, if they don't like what certain people say, I'm like, so if you don't like what someone's saying on the podcast, just hit the next button and go to the next episode. You know, you don't have to listen to every episode. If you don't like what someone has to say, you don't have to listen to it. Don't buy their book. You know, it's very simple. And I don't agree with everything everybody says, but I also don't feel like it's my place to like sit and argue with people or correct them. I haven't had anybody on that, that has said something that's like, you know, so atrocious that I felt like 
Right. Yeah. We have to stop there and I'm not going to include you. Like I haven't had it. And, you know, I, I look at what people are doing before I invite them. So right. if something like that happened, I have had, I have had a couple of times I've cut out little pieces of what people have said, because I'm like, I'm just not putting that on, on my podcast. And then I don't invite that person back, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I, but I've been able to edit it out so that I could make the episode something, make them basically sound better than they were. <laughs> You're welcome. Whoever you were that I won't mention. Um, no, <laughs> yeah, I could edit it together so that they sound better than I think that they actually were. And then there were, you know, uh, sounds as good as it could be for the purpose of that episode. Uh, but I've only done that a couple of times. It's been very rare. For the most part, I just let people talk openly and, you know, try to not, not judge what they're talking about and try to listen and find what's useful and what they're saying and kind of prompt them to con- continue talking about the parts that I think are most interesting or relevant or useful. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, that's probably why it sounds so organic, you know? Because it is. <laughs> yeah. And I don't do a lot of people always assume that it's going to be like really edited because I guess a lot of podcasts are, yeah. but most of them are really just like the conversation from the beginning to end with no edits. I usually just edit the beginning or the end where we're like chatting. Yeah. Um, but I usually live the body of the conversation as is. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny because what you're saying is you're saying it, and this is so you, because I know you, <laughs> you say it in such a matter of fact way that like, Oh, I just, you know, usually most people I can find something that, that to connect with them on or get excited about because they're excited about their work. But for me, when I hear that, that's like, that's a great example of the generosity of your spirit that you hold space for people and you're genuinely excited when they're like doing what makes them, you know, tick or what makes them get up in the morning. But like, I just want to note it for you and for everybody else. And I know this, this part will make you uncomfortable. You're like, shut up. Don't say it. <laughs> is that that is reflective of the generosity of your spirit. Um, and that that's one of the parts I think that I, you know, connect with you on so much and appreciate so much about you. You know, that's, that's not everybody's angled to the world. Yeah. I do notice that I didn't pick any episodes. <laughs> You asked like which ones and I was like mine and I didn't pick anybody else. You just yes. said they're all great in their own way. <laughs> you know, you're like a good mama. <laughs> they're all great in their own way. And here's me. I'm the shifter of being like, come on, people, let's make you let's make you practice ego strength to hold to hold that multiple things can be true at once. That Vanessa can have episodes she loves and love your episode at the same time. Um, you mentioned a little bit about like people writing you. So what has been people's response, good, good or bad? And like, I'm also thinking about like, how have friends responded, family, like people who know you, because I think it's different when somebody falls upon you professionally and gets to know you through the podcast. But then like, what about people who've like been in your life for before and now know you th- through this way like what what has been the range of responses to the podcast that's interesting I know like I said my dad's only listened to that one episode with Molly (laughs) (laughs) he listened to that and it had an effect on him and that's great Um, but I don't think he's listened to anything else and I honestly don't know if my mom's listened to any of them Um, but uh, yeah I actually feel like (laughs) I'm not sure how many of my actual friends actually listen to it (laughs) Um, I really, really don't know. Most of the response I get is from people I don't know. Um, people sending me like messages on Instagram or an email or something. Um, most of them, like 90% of them are people like thanking me for it and for like platforming different voices and, um, yeah, something, I mean, like, I, I always think like, I wish I had something like this in grad school, you know, um, yeah, just having like all these different perspectives and different ways of thinking about things than what you're given in school. So I, my assumption is that most people that listen are students, though, then since I've, I think I must have said that on an episode somewhere along the way, because then people like professionals, whatever, wrote me like, no, I listen to your podcast. And so, so I guess it's a mix of um, people already in their career and people studying. Um and the but people that complain, I mean, a couple of times people have like, you know, written me on like every platform they can find, like Facebook, TikTok, 
Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, email to like yell at me about something or another. And honestly, most of the time it's about it's about Palestine. That's the people complain about the most, oh. um, which is, you know, that means we're going to keep talking about it more. Yeah. <laughs> it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The people get really and I just don't respond. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, there's no point. Yeah. Yeah, mm. the selectiveness is interesting mm. <laughs> in and of itself. Yeah. What has what has been surprising to you? Like a- apart from that, because I know, you know, people who don't live their lives being Palestinian or Arab that fight this every day sometimes have no idea that's the type of harassment and bullying that you get the second you say anything like just saying the word Palestine gets that too but apart from that which might have been a new experience um what has been like the most surprising response that you've had to the podcast Mm, let's see most surprising I mean I guess it was probably like early on like when the first first people wrote um like thanking me and and telling me how nice it was to have um yeah it was just nice that that I could like connect with students that and give them this kind of resource um and that they thought to reach out about it because (laughs) you know you put these things out I'm always home when I make them you know to me it's like I don't know where it goes And I don't know how many people are actually listening to it or, you know, who's listening. I really have no idea. And like you said, like people come to you, like people talking about it, but, you know, I don't really have any community here. So I don't have any people that I'm walking around like meeting that are like, oh, you're the the podcast. Like, it's just like a weird (laughs) void. I just like send it out into the void, you know? Yeah. but yeah, I could tell the, you know, the SoundCloud ticks. So I could see, okay, people are listening when I put them out. I see the numbers go up, you know, and they've been going up and up every year. So mm-hmm. that's good. But mm-hmm. I would say probably it was just most surprising when the first people reached wrote reached out. Um, yeah. and that yeah. and then also when they get surprised, like if they write and say a little bit about themselves. Um, I think it was Bonte, who's a Buddhist monk. He wrote like, I've listened to every episode of your podcast. And then I was like, oh, you want to come on? And because he, he sent me like a book that his teacher gave him about Buddhism uh-huh. and psychoanalysis. I said, oh, do you want to come on and talk about it? I think that's also really fun. People are surprised that I just invite them. Right. <laughs> and they're like, oh, but, you know, so this feeling of like, oh, but who am I? You know, I, right. oh, I don't know if I'm as accomplished as, right. you know, so-and-so or whatever. And it's just like, you know. I don't care about that at all. That's all ridiculous. Everybody yeah. has uh, the right to say what they have to yeah. say. Well, that matches exactly what I'm saying, right? Like even everything you're saying right now goes along with what you were saying about you never intended this to be a spotlight, right, on you. And you mm-hmm. didn't intend this to be a, a channel through which you would become more known because I know people who have podcasts who religiously watch the counter and you're like, I don't know how, how many people listen to this. Like (laughs) people have, and I know you see the SoundCloud thing, but like you, it's not a central mode of your being to be like, let me obsessively look how many people are watching, how many people are listening, how many hits do I have all these sorts of things Mm. or to gatekeep who is on your show for clout. That's what, that's why people I think are surprised because we're, we live in a world where unfortunately, if your politics aren't aligned in the ways that I know yours are, because these are all, you're talking about a personal politics. This is not just, oh, I'm just floating through life, like mindlessly just inviting people. It's a political position you're taking about how you share space Mm. and how you create community. Right. Um, And I, I know that personally, knowing you and I love that about you but I think uh, very few people do that especially people who get the spotlight whether intended or not who get the spotlight that end up sharing that space and being generous with it and I think maybe that's why we see such surprise when people are like oh my gosh are you actually inviting me like what do I have to say you know yeah no I love that and then I love like sometimes people want time to like think about what they would want to talk about or something and I just tell them whenever you ready just let me know and then they get in touch some months later and they're like okay ready and and then I have them come on but I think it's important to showcase people at all different kind of 
levels of their career, different worldviews, different types of psychoanalysis, you know, mm -hmm. uh, all different theoretical orientations, people who are theoreticians, clinicians, artists, if an artist that use psychoanalytic thinking with their art, you know, yeah. And however it's being used, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, that it is wonderful. And it's wonderful because that there is an idea about knowledge production and what constitutes that, what constitutes psychoanalysis. And you do that in a, like a, and not a heavy handed way, because like the people that you connect with, like you actually believe it. And I don't think if there's any performance, <laughs> that's part of it, you know? So. That's and also, really you know, the thing too, as well, like, you know, there wouldn't be a podcast with all these, without all these other people and their contributions and yeah, the series yeah. of books that come out, you know, I'm going to start editing these talks into, into books and things. And, and the conferences that we do, it's like, you know, Carl and I can just put the conference on and go there by ourselves. Like, you know, it's a community yeah. space and everybody's contributing to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah absolutely tell me well speaking of like putting on conferences or that what's something exciting coming down the bend and I know you've been working very hard and I've been very proud of you about saying yes to the things you really want to do and not giving any you know breathing room for this the shit that feels just obligatory so what's something on the horizon that you're really excited about um work art conference whatever it is yeah well we're gonna have a uh the next psychoanalysis art in a cult conference in October in um, Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. our, our friend runs a, a cinema there and um, we're just going to take it over for the weekend. And it's called Visionary Medium uh, Psychoanalysis and the Magic of Cinema. And that actually came about also was, you know, Carl has a new book coming out. It's his first novel that he wrote in Swedish. And he had a Swedish artist named River um, paint the cover painting for it. And then when we went to Stockholm a few months ago um, for uh, another artist friend of ours exhibition, Gustav Brahms, uh, River came to the exhibition and gave Carl the painting that he was to use for the cover art. Like handed it over and then she said you know when are you all going to have your next conference and we hadn't even been thinking about it oh. and then so basically it came from her desire to you know attend one of these conferences that we were like well let's see if we can make that happen and then we just were like where can we have it and then we contacted our friend Jack and he said sure you can use the cinema and you know and now it's going to happen so you know that's how things happen <laughs> yes. if somebody wants to do something you say great and we make it happen <laughs> Yeah. you know yeah. that's that's how it goes um, yeah but you have to have the relationships right and the true relationships where you have not only you have friends because like there are people who have friends <laughs> right but like again the sort of sharing of space and knowledge and a connection around why these things are important so that you can call up a friend who has a cinema and they're like yeah you can use the space right because not everybody's like willing to do that. But when you understand the importance of putting stuff like this out in the world, um, especially in the current world we have, right? And with, with growing fascism globally, to have a space where people can actually, you know, think together and create together and dream together, dream up a world together is really important. Absolutely. And I think something I've learned uh, over these past couple of years, also like what's really important. And yeah. like I said, I've done everything on my to-do list and I'm really just focusing everything like for my free time on, you know, being in nature and exercising and things, but also just like making art and magic and like psychoanalysis. I really love the practice. You know, I love like being with analysis and listening and doing the work of psychoanalysis, but the whole kind of, scene around it is like really not interesting to me and it honestly just makes me feel dead inside um because especially because I feel like yeah. you know it's such a potent practice and then you know you go to these conferences and stuff and it just feels like not mm -hmm. all the time of course sometimes they're really great but a lot of the time it's just like Ugh, I can't even and yeah. you know that's yeah. that's actually how this like this the magic conferences started is because I you know uh Actually, I thought about this the other day. This year's 2022. So the first talk I ever gave at an international conference, blah, blah, uh, was in 2012. And it was on uh, systemic violence in the American mental health system. Surprise. 
Mine is talking about the same thing. Are you um, mean it's not new? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not new. And I was talking about it then and we keep talking about it. And yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I gave a talk there. And then uh, that actually got really good reception, which is surprising. <laughs> that was a really good conference. It was in St. Louis and uh, this psychiatrist, psychoanalyst, Todd Dean put it together. And he had a great, great group of people. <clears throat> and yeah, uh, and so a guy actually was well received and D Darian Leader was giving the keynote and then he like, I presented a case <clears throat> when I was talking about it. And uh, he like took the example of my case and like interwove it into his keynote and stuff. So it was like very exciting for my first, you know, presentation. Yeah. Like, Yay. Um, so that was good. And so then a couple of years later, I decided after I left the hospital, uh, it was just in private practice. I wanted to still say something and do something because, you know, systemic abuses are very real and very problematic. And uh, I didn't want to just like go into private practice and like, you know, dissociate myself from what's happening. Um, so I decided to put this conference together with Manya Steinkohler on um, psychoanalysis and violence, specifically systemic violence. And so yeah. I did that. But then that conference was like, you know, who goes to, you know, Lacanian psychoanalytic conference at Fordham <laughs> University, you know, there's a bunch yeah. of analysts in private practice who are very dissociated from reality. Yeah. Uh, and they, they talk about all these things in theory and they like bring in all these like literature to like talk about the violence, blah, blah, blah. But it's all just like very heady theoretical stuff. And, you know, that of course, you know, has its place, I guess, whatever. But um, I just felt like so depressed after having that conference because, you know, it was like this three-day event that we worked on for like a year to put it together, you know, how much work it is. And I just felt like it was like talking to a wall, you know, yeah. I was really happy with like some of the presentations, like my friend Tanya White Davis and um, a colleague of hers presented on systemic racism and Stephen Reisner talked about his work like in Guantanamo Bay and the problems with the APA and that mm -hmm. because that was all like happening right at that time. Right. Um, so there was like some really great presentations, but it was like for the most part, the audience is just like like it's like I'm like what does this do you know talking to these yeah. people about these issues it just felt like yeah. it did nothing so I was like well this is just fucking yeah it felt like it did nothing so I'm like I'm gonna do one about magic next <laughs> because fuck it you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's how it ended up happening it's just like me getting depressed trying to get the psychoanalytic community like to do something <laughs> That's so great what you're saying. Not the part that's so crushing, but that there, there's something that happened that pushed you through to the other side, so to speak, because you, if we, we can take the reading of this, my reading of this is you are doing everything that everybody said you should be doing, putting on these professional conferences, doing it and trying to make it meaningful. And, and then what, like, even that wasn't enough because the promises are not true. If they don't cash out because what happens is they sit around in a room in the best of times and basically talk in circles and think they're doing something, pat themselves on the back and then walk out and do the same shit all over mm -hmm. again. Right. Which is like, we have a word for that. <laughs> right. So I feel like you getting to that point, this feels like a really beautiful parallel to what you said when you were in Florida on your laptop in your bed before you made this happen we like hit a wall and you were like I'm not stopping at this wall I'm actually gonna like fuck it what comes next because you your beautiful mind and soul and artistic ways like let me make the world that I want to make that I want to see let me in, in enact and inhabit the world I want to live in right and that's what I'm hearing from you but I guess that that's a great segue into like as we are winding down just can you tell us a little bit about your art and your magic? Like what, it, what does that consist of when you say that? Oh boy. Um, it consists of a lot of things. Art for the most part now, I, I just do cutups and collages. Um, it's the most fun for me. And I just get into these like cut up holes where I like, you know, sometimes people set the cut up spoken word I like read the cut up poems out loud and people set them to music so I have like a playlist on my iTunes with like all of the different spoken words set to music and I like shuffle it so I like listen to myself reading the cut ups while I'm making cut ups and it just sends me into this little like tunnel world that I could just be in for like hours and hours and hours and I love it 
<laughs> I mean, that's that my happy place. <laughs> the book you sent me, you can see it. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And that book, that was really a turning point um, for the collages because I started doing all of these portraits and that mm-hmm. came because of, because of Jessica's death right. and uh, doing portraits of her. And then I just started doing portraits of other people who had passed. And then I was like, well, I can just only make portraits of dead people. Like let me make some portraits of some other people um, and some self portraits and stuff. Um, but yeah, I really, I really like it. People seem to really like those collages. So um, mm-hmm. for some reason the past few weeks I haven't been doing portraits I've just been doing like straight up collage but it hasn't been anything intentional I think mm-hmm. I think uh, I had another friend pass away a couple months ago and yeah. I have his picture there to make a collage of him and I, I think that's probably why I haven't been making portraits because the next one I want to make is of him and I just don't think I'm ready to do that quite yet but I'm yeah. going to we're going to make soon another an expanded edition of um the rendering unconscious book because that one's basically sold out there's like two maybe two copies left Mm -hmm. um and so when we do that I'm going to expand it with some pieces that people have sent me and then he my friend Andrew Dahl who passed he was a poet and I got a bunch of his poetry from friends and his sister and so I'm going to put a big section of it in there and dedicate it to him so I'll probably make the collage uh, portrait like when that is done for that oh that's beautiful yeah. yeah so yeah so now it's just been more like kind of straight up collages and then magic has really just become a part of my everyday life um I, I grew up you know I grew up in Miami so Santeria is always around and I had a lot of friends who I thought of their mothers as witches you know like oh, all these friends have witches for parents um, now but then of course I got older and just it was Santeria which yeah, is brujas um, but um so it's just kind of always around and um, my mom, you know, she's kind of like a hippie. So she had like an astrologer and stuff like that. So it was just kind of always present. And then of course, when I was an adolescent and I hated her and I didn't want to be like her at all. I was like, you know, <laughs> stop talking to me about this bullshit. I hate it. <laughs> I went like very much the other direction. I didn't want to know anything about astrology or anything like that or art for that matter. Um, cause that's kind of her whole thing is, you know, she's an artist and that's basically her reason for everything she does or why people like, or don't like her or whatever. It's always like, oh, that's, it's that way because I'm an artist. And so I like, really didn't like that signifier artist. Um, yeah. actually like, that's why I was like, well, I'm going to go be a doctor, you know, <laughs> do something totally different than you. And then yeah. it kind of, you know, came together, integrated eventually, um, yeah so but but uh yeah no, I'm initiated into a couple of different uh different practices and those I don't talk about so much because I don't feel it's my place it's more like personal practice and you know a lot of times when people get initiated into traditions you know the goal is that they're going to also like set up a house and you know initiate right. others and that sort of thing but I don't I don't that's not part of my plan it's just for me and my personal practice I don't plan on like setting anything up um so I don't talk about that as much, but I feel like doing the cut-ups and collages is its own kind of magic. And William Burroughs wrote about that um, a lot. And like, he would like keep these journals, which I think is really great. And I actually want to have one set out that I want to start doing this as well, where mm-hmm. he would like have these different columns in his journals of like thinking about uh, paying attention to his environment and like, you know, listening to things going on around him noticing like you said the animals and the different kind of souls around him and also like things that people were saying kind of like when he was on a train or on a bus or something and like noticing all of those different things and paying attention to his environment and then he would also he would write down like notes about that and then he would also write down like things that he was thinking about in his own writing and then his own dreams and um, things that he would find in the newspaper and then he would find what he called intersections like how these kinds of different things connect like find these connections and like basically your internal reality and external and the external world and I always thought that was really interesting practice Um, and I did do it for a little bit um, when I was in New York and it was really interesting and I also did a practice when I was in New York for I don't know probably about six months like really actually every day for about six months where I used to um write down my dream in the morning and then I keep like a box of cut up text uh like in a shoe box by my bed and as soon as I would wake up I would make a cut up from the uh from the box near my bed and then see like how the words that came out of the cut up reflect 
in the dream and vice versa or might maybe wouldn't notice the connection till like later in the day when something would happen you'd be like oh this is like the cut of this morning something like that and I, I and doing that every day just like having that kind of practice and like yeah. dedicating time to that um yeah, it really just makes you more aware, basically. And that's why I think all of these practices, like creative practice, psychoanalytic practice, and magical practices, just a way of like actually making you more aware of yourself, your own mind, and, you know, yeah. and what's going on. <laughs> People need to be more aware. <laughs> they sure fucking do. I, I mean, it's awareness, but I'm also like, I found myself thinking, wow, you were actively creating portals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah exactly portals of entry and maybe portals of exit too places Mm -hmm. like when you feel stuck in in places to like actively create portals for yourself exactly yeah so I love that and I love I have everyday magical practices just like always you know some sort of anniversary of something or someone's birth or death I have an ancestor altar with all of like mm-hmm. pictures of Carl and my ancestors and different friends that have passed and different artists that we that we like that we resonate with in our work. Everybody's on the same kind of table and always have like a candle there and a glass of water um, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So there's always someone's birthday. I'll bring them to the front and make a collage for them or play some mm-hmm. of their music or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of, yeah, eventually, I think at first when I first started practicing more regularly, it was like you would go to a space and like do some sort of ritual or something or be like, oh, I'm going to set aside. It's the new moon. I'm going to like sit down with right. my journal and write this and light a candle and, you know, meditate on it. But you know, now I, med- I always meditate almost almost every day. I can't say I do anything every day, right. um, but it's just become like not a natural part of my life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what a beautiful way. I feel like this is a gorgeous way to end in celebration of you and this show because what you're saying about your magical practices is there are all these different ways of intentional connection intentional connectivity and an intentional collapsing of past present and future and who stays with us and I I just feel like this is another portal you've created for us all to sort of invite us into your space and and that's the part I think that might get missed is that you're not only providing space for us all, you're also inviting us into your space. And I don't take that lightly. And I'm so appreciative. And I love you very much. I love you too, Lara. Thank you. You're welcome. Congratulations on 200. 200 episodes. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Lara Shiha and myself celebrating the 200th episode of Rendering Unconscious. Thank you so much for all of the Rendering Unconscious guests and listeners and audience. We wouldn't be here without you. I'm so grateful. It's been a really fun and interesting adventure to be on. And I look forward to continuing to do the podcast. Um, as always, you are welcome to be in touch. My email is vs at drvanessasinclair.net. Uh, you can visit my website at the contact page for an easy way to message me. My website is drvanessasinclair.net. You can find links and more information at Rendering Unconscious main webpage, renderingunconscious.org. And as always, you can follow me on social media, on Instagram and Twitter at Rawson underscore and at TikTok at Dr. Vanessa Sinclair 23. Don't forget, Rendering Unconscious is also a book, Rendering Unconscious Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics and Poetry, available at your parts website trapart.net that's t-r-a-p-a-r-t dot net and if you'd like to support the podcast which i really really appreciate um, you can visit the patreon it's patreon.com vanessa 23 carl and links to everything is in the text accompanying this episode it would be really great to see some more of you at the patreon we've been hovering around 50 patrons basically since we started our patreon 
uh, four years ago. So it's always been around 50, which is a great number. And I'm so appreciative and thank you to everyone that's there. But I also see how many listeners the podcast has. So if everybody you know, went to the Patreon and, and joined at like the $2 level, it would make a big difference. And it would just be nice, you know, to be able to see the support. Because I guess as I didn't realize so much until I was talking to Laura in this episode, um, I don't really know who's listening. And I feel do feel like I'm kind of just talking out uh, into the ether. And I do get some feedback from a few people. And like I said, sometimes when people write to me, I invite them to become a guest on the podcast and that's been great Um, but compared to how many listeners there are it's been uh, relatively few so it'd be nice to hear a little bit more um, from you all so feel free to be in touch and you're welcome in the patreon community there's a lot going on there a lot of my artwork I share there because I can't really post it much on social media because my collages contain nudity and things like that and the Bots always take them down, so uh, I share a lot of art there and music before it's out and things like that. The episodes always go up at the Patreon first before they get launched into the wider world, so um, it's just a nice community there. All right, thanks everyone. Bye. Life. Perhaps the primary power of sound. And this is especially true with regard to metaphonics. It is in its relationship to time. More specifically, this relationship is expressed by sounds. The ability to achieve various degrees of time dilation relative, subjective experiences of duration, relative, subjective experiences of duration. We will realize that in each fragment, we will realize that in each fragment, Large, no matter how small, large or irregular, we will realize that in each fragment, we will realize how small each fragment, large or no matter how small, large or irregular, it is in its relationship to time. As most of us are aware by now, if we shatter and scatter any hologram, we will realize that in each fragment, no matter how small, large, or irregular, we will see the whole hologram.